This is Daniel Figella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. In all of our work with enterprises, it's quite rare that an enterprise research project, and most of our work has to do with finding the opportunity landscape for AI for the companies that we work with in the enterprise space. Rarely do our clients want to draw just from the startup ecosystem or just from their competitors or just from what large organizations are doing. They often want a varied perspective. If we're helping a bank decide on some kind of a fraud solution or a fraud strategy regarding AI or an anti-money laundering strategy related to AI, they want to know about the startup ecosystem. They want to know about other big banks. They want to know about other established software providers in the banking space to genuinely find where the ROI is and what the possibilities are. And for us as a research firm, this means we need to keep a wide Rolodex to be able to help companies immediately access the kind of talent that can help them with their strategy, help reduce risks, help to drive the success of their most important projects. Uh, But it also means that we're always hunting for people who have experience on both sides of the fence. I love when I'm able to find great, smart entrepreneurs who also have experience within big companies because we can get a variety of perspective from them because they've been, again, on both sides of the fence. Our guest this week has done just that in the area of AI and IoT. Joseph Berti was previously the CEO of two data and IoT-related companies, one called Aniqua, based in Denver, another called Clockwork Solutions, based in Austin, Texas. And he is now the VP of AI applications at IBM after the acquisition of Aniqua some two and a half years ago. Joseph speaks to us this week about the present and future applications of AI and IoT. What are the possibilities? It's kind of a broad concept. Oh, there will be things and the things will produce data. But what are the real use cases? We talk in kind of a very stern and frank manner about what AI and IoT can do now. And I actually get Joseph to talk about specific use cases that he can bring up and that he can talk about where he's seen value delivered from IoT in industry. So he talks about a few of those. And then I ask him about where IoT and AI are going. What are the new possibilities that are opening up? What should business leaders be aware of in terms of where this technology combination is taking us? And Joseph, again, with entrepreneurial perspective, as well as with big blue perspective inside of IBM, paints a bit of his picture of what people should be aware of in terms of future trends. So uh, as a market researcher, I always like to find folks with varied perspectives so that we can help our clients and also help our listeners. And, and you as our listeners, who we appreciate so much, I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed the conversation uh, with Joseph Berti. For those of you who are interested in our enterprise-level AI research here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, you can go to emerge.com, that's E-M-E-R-J.com slash A-I-O-L. That stands for AI Opportunity Landscape. That is the majority of our work here at Emerge. That's our flagship research where we focus on the possibilities, opportunities, and ROI of AI for the firms that we work with, helping them support their most important and critical AI initiatives by reducing risk, and finding the shortest path to return on investment. And we do that through our wide Rolodex of connections. Again, you can go to emerj.com slash A-I-O-L if you have any current AI initiatives where you might be able to use some support, some competitive intelligence, some understanding of the vendor ecosystem at a deeper level than you have now, then you can reach us there. Uh, Without further ado, let's fly right into this episode. This is Joseph Berti with IBM here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Joe, for our first topic here, we're going to be diving into this intersection of IoT and AI. Uh, Infinite possibilities. There's heavy industry. There's healthcare all over the place. I want to talk to you, first topic, about 
where we're seeing the most value from that intersection? Because I think there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of tough problems. Where do you really see the fit coming to fruition in business today? Yeah, de- definitely. It's a good question. You know, people have been talking about AI and IoT for quite a while, right? And it's like, where, where's the real value? I think what you're seeing now is there's, there's actually more and more equipment that's out in the field now that actually has sensors on it. So you have that available. You also have a large install base of data that's been captured over 10, 15 years that's been put in, in historians, but nobody's, nobody's been using it. So most manufacturing facilities use what's called the SCADA system, and that's been collecting data off of the PLCs and relays and, um, and sensors on the equipment. It's been stored and not being used. So where the value is coming in is actually taking that data that companies been captured that, that they've been capturing for a long time and running it through AI models and doing what's called anomaly detection. So you can now start to take that data live and take those feeds. So it's in, in, in all types of industries to so think of like a utility, oil and gas, mining companies, they all have these embedded systems, manufacturing facilities, food facilities, you know, on and on and on. They've had them in place for quite a while. So taking that data, that infrastructure, as it currently stands in place and connecting to it and then running it through anomaly detection and then doing what I call closed loop monitoring. So you take that data, you feed it into a monitoring system, you generate an anomaly based using an AI model, and you really point someone to say, okay, there's something different going on with this equipment that it hasn't done before. So maybe it starts to vibrate more or the temperature is fluctuating. Uh, like in one case with one customer, the the sensor froze at a certain temperature, so it was 70 degrees and just flatlined. And so an anomaly detection model catches something like that and say something happened. In that case, the sensor failed. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very but, common. Yeah, exactly. And the typical alerting systems won't catch that. They're actually configured to say if it goes above this temperature or below this temperature, create an alert. And what's been happening is all those configurations were made when the system, when the uh, SCADA system got installed. And it generates thousands of alerts. So you can actually walk in, in like a manufacturing facility and you see all these red alerts on, a, on the operator panel and they just walk by it. And you're like, why, why is nobody paying attention to those? They're like, yeah. well, there's because there's thousands of the, them. The, the boy who cried wolf, right? The boy who cried yeah, wolf. Yeah, exactly. You can't really action that. And they know that the equipment's up and running. There's not really a problem with it. Whereas the anomaly model and the AI model points you specifically to something that's different. And it's much more narrow and much more intelligent than what, what's been done in the past. Yeah, the anomaly detection writ large, I mean, even in cybersecurity, I guess on some level, there's often certain kinds of applications where there's just so many false positives, nobody even cares anymore. And if we can start to boil that stuff down to what we should care about, maybe we could actually right. make some improvements around here. Same thing apparently here in manufacturing. You've teed up the value prop broadly. You know, you're using manufacturing as a starting place, perfectly fine. IoT and AI, you know, heavy industry manufacturing, very common domain to talk about. Tons of challenges there. So yeah, you've teed up the, the broad idea that, hey, you know, by leveraging these sensors, looking at this telemetry data, vibration, heat, very common. I imagine maybe there's some other sensors, but I, I hear those most there's, often. Well, actually, there's, there is something that's changed on the sensor side. There's now like a whole class of what I call Fitbit for machines. So everybody knows what a Fitbit is. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Wear it on your wrist and track your steps. Uh, and then I know your heart rate, dad, and other things. So there's now these Fitbit for machines where you can take an old piece of equipment and actually retrofit it. They, yeah, they yeah. look like, some of them look like hockey pucks. Yep. And they sometimes have seven, 10, 12 sensors in it. Yep. And you, it has a magnet on it. And you put it on the side of the machine 
And then all of a sudden, you now have sensors on a machine that didn't um, have sensors before. Um, yeah. That being said, you have to put it on the right equipment. Uh, you just, just putting so sensors on anything doesn't make sense. No, um, but no. like pumps, motors, air conditioners, there's actually some really high value use cases where it actually makes sense to put a sensor on it. And like if you're like, for example, let's just take a simple pump, like a well pump. Um, if, it, if that's cycling on and off, the pump's not going to last as long. It's going to burn out. And it's a, a pump that cycles on and off will last between one and three years. Whereas a pump that's actually operating properly can last up to five years, you know? Okay. So having a sensor on that and alerting somebody to say, Hey, something's going on with your well pump. You probably want to go look at it and inspect yeah. it. You're, you're just going to have to replace that thousand dollar pump a lot sooner than you would actually want to write that check. Yep. So, and again, all teeing up the general value prop, whether the sensors are baked into the new machines or whether we're doing, as we often are, retrofitting. I mean, we're talking about freight trains. We're talking about airplanes. We're talking about, you know, not every piece of equipment that might malfunction was built with some neato, you know, uh, sensor array already uh, aligned in there. You know, we're often doing retrofitting in, in heavy industry. Poses a lot of its own challenges. Again, the promise here is if we put sensors in the right places, we can hopefully either predict or prevent um, all kinds of different activities and uh, be able to optimize for them more frequently. The other thing that's changed and that there's been a lot of talk about 5G and it sounds like hype, right? Like everybody's talking about 5G and it's like, when am I going to actually see my cell phone work work faster? That being said, there's actually indoor 5G or you can blanket an area like a manufacturing facility with 5G and it's actually a game changer. So think about mine and right now there's no Wi-Fi inside of a mine shaft. Yeah. In your 5G, you can actually do that. You can actually blanket the area and you can actually um, shoot it down the mine tunnel. A manufacturing facility, you can blanket the entire facility with 5G. Um, I even took, I took my property and I have a dock and I have a, um, a garage and it's an eight acre property. I actually shot 5G all across the property. So I've got this blanket of 5G so I can walk around my eight acres now and go down to the lake and still have 5G. <laughs> With your, your Just super fast. Cut, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm not typically the um, technology geek, but I was like, hey, this is cool stuff. Um, and um, I wanted Wi-Fi at my dock. So Hey, um, that's cool. Yeah, eat, eat, eat your own dog food kind of thing, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Might as well plug it into your own house now that that's the the office right now, at least for the time being. So yeah, again, I think we're, we're, we're framing the problem generally pretty well. I, I know just from talking to so many folks in this space of just how challenging this is. Um, like you mentioned, sensors can fail and often do. Sensors can fall off and often do. If we have a freight train going through the Arctic or going through you know, Florida, we've got different heat stuff and maybe heat will make them fail in different ways or fail at different right. times or, or, or detect vibration a little bit differently if it's borderline frozen cold versus if it's super hot. In a manufacturing plant, we might have a more controlled environment, but still the same machine that, that you know, presses metal that might vibrate this way when it's going to break, the, the one next to it not always will have exactly the same failure pattern. And sometimes we'll have different ones. And I think from what we've That's heard, right. the challenge of making this stuff work and shaking value out of it is just how tough it is to instrument the physical world to give us something reliable that's going to be a consistent signal because the signal giver itself can fail or fall off. Individual units are not exactly the same. You know, if I clone a piece of software, one for zero, it, it might hypothetically be identical. If I make another metal pressing piece of equipment, there's just gears, there's too many parts, it's not going to be exactly identical. So what are the keys to actually 
finding the pockets where real value can be gleaned because there's a lot of R&D time, nothing wrong with that, but a lot of R&D time in iterating, figuring out what array of sensors, what, what kinds of setup on these kind of equipment can work. How do we boil that process down to get to value? I think it's ex- part of its experience of knowing what makes sense to put sensors on and what what doesn't. Um, I think obviously the Fitbit for machines, if they have a magnet, you can actually move them around and keep moving it till you place it in, a, in the right place to actually capture the right data. Or you can put it on a machine temporarily to inspect it for a while and then go put it on another machine to go inspect that for a while. So you can kind of play around with it a little bit more and just try stuff and see the data. And if it's, it has to generate value, like most, like an example, I'll go back to my air conditioner example. In a big, uh, let's say a college campus, they'll actually go inspect the air conditioning units, let's say once a month, and they'll actually walk by it, they'll listen to it. They'll see if it's vibrating, what kind of noise it's making. Well, if you put a sensor on it, you can now monitor it 24 by seven, 365 days a week. And then one person, instead of walking up to each unit, can monitor hundreds, if not thousands of assets at once. So there's actually, there's real dollars there, you know, so you don't, it's pretty expensive for someone to walk around campus and drive around campus and go do those inspections. And if you can do it remotely in a remote monitoring center, that scales. And so there's a real dollar saving to that. You can say, okay, there's an easy check. Um, And also you're going to catch problems you wouldn't have caught because let's say it started making noise in the middle of the night. And it just so happened, that's not when the person inspected it. So you're going to catch things that wouldn't, because you're monitoring 24 by seven, that you wouldn't have caught. And you're you, and it, given that you're only doing it monthly, you're going to catch it potentially up to 30 days sooner than what you used to. So there's, there's real value, but there's also experience to know, okay, there's a value proposition with air conditioning units or with pumps or motors, anything that vibrates can overheat, anything that can make noise. Like there's, if you've been around technicians, and technicians been out in the field 20, 30 years, they know what a piece of equipment is supposed to sound like. So they actually walk by equipment and say, oh, there's a bad bearing on yeah, that thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how did you even hear that, right? And how do you know? And it, they just know, right? Because they, um, they've been working around. So, um, you know, uh, an AI-based um, sound model can actually catch something like that and say, oh, there's a bad bearing on that. And there's, there's an issue associated with it. So sensors can now start to catch some of that stuff. I watched this with mobile devices. I remember for probably about five years, IT departments were telling executives, we need a mobile application and they wouldn't sign up for it. But all of a sudden, you know, they got an iPhone and an executive can actually download an app. And then they started asking IT, like, why do we not have a mobile application for this? Right. And IT was like, we've been asking for the budget for five years, right? You wouldn't actually approve it. And it, is, is the real answer. So you're seeing the same thing with low cost sensors. So you're now starting to buy fridges, refrigerators and other things in your home, you know, even having, you know, um, you know, like Siri or whatever in your home and being able to talk to it, all that's actually kind of, it makes it more tangible for some of the decision makers and companies now to say, why don't we put a sensor on that? I got a sensor on my car and I got a sensor on my fridge. Why do I not have a sensor in my manufacturing facility? And so that's, that, that'll help as well because it helps it make it more understandable and something that's within reach right yeah you're you're bringing up a really important point here you know when you talked about the mechanic fella the the engineer in the field we've got to be able to combine their expertise with the data science expertise and 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 in order to determine what's our best what's our best swing and ai by its nature is kind of iterative and it's experimental what's our best swing at detecting patterns that are going to deliver value so we've got to 
find the people in the field who know how to do what we could frankly call feature engineering, right? Um, I want want to pick up on this sound. I want to pick on this. You know, I know what I'm looking for. I know the features that matter. You know, this kind of vibration, this kind of heat on this kind of part, that's what's going to tell me when this thing's going to break the heck down. And machines sometimes can inform us at even deeper levels, but often we're going to have to start with a hypothesis. So coming in with a really strong hypothesis, you know, like you said, you can't just tack sensors on things. Is there maybe a, uh, you mentioned one kind of remote monitoring example. We don't have to name customers or anything, but I really want the listeners to walk away with maybe, you know, an instance where you saw IoT and AI sort of deliver value that in some way was measurable, revenue expenses, who cares, but, but just in, in some tangible way. Do you, have, do you have a favorite that you like to refer to to show the power here? There's tons of examples because IBM's so big and it has so many customers. But like here's in a, just take a, there's an auto manufacturer that we're using cameras doing what visual inspection. We've trained the parts running through on the production line and there's an AI model that'll know if the part actually has an issue or not. And it's the camera is looking at the parts with such high fidelity. It's seeing little cracks yep. and imperfections in like a steering wheel or a brake pad at a level that you wouldn't be able to detect Certainly. with your eye. Yeah. And then the you know, second thing is the camera never gets tired, right? So it's going to be continuously looking. Um, it's never going to look away. And so it'll actually shut down the production line. So if it actually sees part coming through that has a defect, um, it has the ability to turn off the production line. That's an immediate potential recall, which a recall can cost hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a safety, you know, so now someone's not going to get that vehicle with a potential default. Yeah, yeah, defects cause a safety issue and a whole bunch of other things as well. So that's um, the visual inspection. Do we call computer been, vision IoT? Like, a, a, is it because the camera is a sensor that technically would fall into is, the IoT bucket? Yeah. yeah, it's a sensor. It's, no it's doubt about it. So anomaly detection could be visual, could be audio, it could be sensor data coming yeah. off. So I view it all as IT. It's, yeah. I just yeah, see IoT, it as yeah. one other form of monitoring. Yeah. Even yeah, IBM yeah. Research even created a taste monitor so it can like taste food. I think we wrote about that however long ago. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think you're going to see more and more different types of sensors or combinations of sensors to do things in a, in a unique way, right? Yeah. You know, I probably haven't even imagined yet. (laughs) I'm thinking, well, we'll, we'll end by talking a little bit about some of the future things that you're excited about, but you just got me thinking here. Number one, audio, I actually hadn't uh, thought of that much in terms of sensors. And, and frankly, when I think about use cases, uh, trains, manufacturing, et cetera, Audio, really not sort of top of the list compared to vibration and heat in terms of what I see sensor arrays being constructed out of, but makes a lot of sense and actually really interesting. I'm almost wondering if, you know, smell sensors on some level, you know, to detect whether it's a rupture in something. It's like we might find that rupture by, you know, hearing a rattle or feeling a vibration, but maybe it smells like something when, when this area like overheats. It's or, burn, like yeah, burning rubber yeah. or something. That's yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, a wild little bit of a future thought, but to be frank, it wouldn't surprise me at all if in five years those were somewhat common in some IoT arrays. Well, let's talk a bit about, you know, as we close out at this this initial interview, some of the areas where you're really most excited about IoT's value. When you think about, you know, cost savings, revenue generation in the coming five years, and you think about IoT, again, the panoply is very large, so we're going to have to be kind of limited here. Any, you know, one or two pockets where you're just really excited and you think the world should understand how much business value is in these particular areas? I'm excited to see it become mainstream and more widely used, right, which uh, is converging 
quickly. It's also embedded in a way where it just works and you don't always know AI is actually running. So that's really how it becomes more and more ambient. Yeah. Yeah. More ambient, more mainstream. Imagine like driving your car and you're um, autonomous or not autonomous and it knows on your way to work, you typically stop at this particular coffee shop. Imagine it motioning to you to to try to pre-order that latte you yeah, typically yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's smart enough to know, oh, you've been there every day this week. Um, why don't I pre-order that for you and save you some time, right? That's AI reaching the individual inside a vehicle in other ways. And we're not that far off from that. It's, um, it's pretty exciting to see that and become more and more mainstream, but it, it just happens. Like no one had, you didn't have to hire a data scientist to pr- program that into your car, right? That, that's not achievable, even for companies, right? It gets really expensive to be able to have to hire a bunch of data scientists to do things. And there's high value problems where it makes sense, but you can't do that for everything. Just not practical. So embedded in mainstream everyday things um, all over the place is what I'm most excited about. And also, you know, applying it to climate and sustainability in other areas as well. I think there's, there's benefits there. So intelligence, let's go back to that vehicle intelligence in your vehicle, telling you how to drive better. So you're saving gas, right. And then you're helping, helping the environment. Same thing with supply chains as well, making better decisions about where to ship things from because it's paying attention to the carbon impact when you ship from this area. Yeah, versus this yeah, area. yeah. Okay. So AI is going to help in those areas as well. But they, the possibilities are limitless. There's there's lots of um, technology out there. Um, it's really commercializing it and making it mainstream because the, the technology exists. It's not yeah. a, five years ago, we had to create the technology. We had to create the models. We had to figure out how to do it how to get it to scale, yep. all the back-end yep, yep. computing infrastructure, all that's there now. Yeah. It's now in execution mode and rolling it out to the world. So well, I, I certainly like my car to order a latte. That would be cool. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll, uh, when, when, that, when that happens first, I wonder if I'll remember this interview. I probably will. Anyway, Joe, I know that's all we had for time on this first interview. Thanks so much for being able to share some of your insights with us today. Yeah, thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you for listening all the way through. We appreciate it. We try to make these episodes interesting, engaging, worth listening to all the way until the end, and you've done that. So thank you for being here. And a big thank you to Joseph Berti for being able to take the time for this interview with us today. If you enjoy what you've learned here, if you've benefited from these episodes, and you want to be able to support the show, I would mean the world if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So if you've benefited from what you've learned, whether in your career or in your business in any way, shape, or form from the AI and Business Podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. It used to be called iTunes. Now it's called Apple Podcasts. Search for AI in Business and leave us a review. Not only does this help support the show by uh, telling other people about the program and kind of giving it a little bit of a boost inside of iTunes, but it also gives us the kind of feedback that keeps the show fresh and keeps the show useful for you. Podcast reviews are feedback that always makes it into our team meetings and sometimes even makes it into our newsletter. So some of you who are listening right now, you have been previous reviewers of our show on iTunes and you've seen your uh, reviews make their way into our newsletter with a big thank you. And so if you'd like to be thanked or you just like to make sure you can support the show and help us improve and make a better show for you as we move forward into the years ahead, leave us a review on iTunes. It means the world. So thank you so much for being here and I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the AI and Business podcast.